So, um, Pastor Tony's in Brooklyn speaking at a Haitian church this morning. So, uh, he hails from Manorville, New York, weighing in at 150 pounds. He's an accomplished musician, songwriter, and worship leader. He's currently a senior at uh, Moody Bible Institute, calling Chicago home right now. Let's welcome Josh Belsamo to come and share the word this morning. I thought we got this right after first service. 160. I'm not in that good of shape. Uh, no, that's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Good morning to those of you here and those of you online. Uh, it is a joy to be back home. Really, this, this is my home. Um, as Pastor Frank shared, I'm a, a senior at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Uh, this is my third and, and, and um, final year, my final semester now, which is crazy to think about. Um, but this is really home for me, and, it, it, and it's such a joy for me whenever I get to come here and worship with you um, together. You know, last time I was here, I had a lot more hair on my head, if you can remember. Um, so I actually, I cut it over the semester when I got back. Uh, Andy Stefan so politely said, you don't look like Jesus no more. I'm like, I still don't quite know how to take that. Um, <laughs> I can assure you, I've not lost any strength. I have not lost any, uh, anything that I was then. <laughs> um, so I have to tell you, before I got to home, while I was in Chicago, I had a really frustrating incident happen. Uh, I had been very excited to go to a concert, one of my favorite bands, me and my friends, we all had this planned out, we were just looking forward to it. And uh, so, you know, with concerts nowadays, you have to prove that you don't have COVID, right? Um, so I was in a bit of a predicament because three weeks prior to the concert, I had COVID. And odds are, if I was going to get tested, I'd probably test positive, right? So what do I do? I show them my positive COVID test with the date that according to the CDC, I'm cleared, I'm good, I'm, you know, I have antibodies in me, no longer contagious, all that. Good, right? So here I am with my friends. We go out to dinner. We, we walk to, uh, to the concert. We're waiting online now. We get to the front. I show them my proof. And she goes, no, that ain't going to fly here. I'm like, no, you got to be kidding. There's no way. I, like, I was like, please, let me speak to somebody else. So I, I wound up speaking to two different people, higher ups, and all three of them basically say, we know you don't have COVID. We know you have the antibodies in you. We know you're not contagious, but according to policy, you can't come in. So I'm like, no, come on. So now you can just imagine me leaving my friends walking outside, guess what, it's raining, and it's thunder and lightning, I gotta walk home in this, no refund, violins playing in the background, it's literally the most pathetic scene you've ever seen in your life. I felt so mad, so frustrated, and the reason why I share that is because I'm sure you've all had situations like this uh, over the last two years now. Um, and we've all gotten to the point where we're just, God, why? Why couldn't I go to that concert? Why did this have to get canceled or that? Why can't I do this? And in a realer sense, questions like, God, why was I laid off from my job? 
God, why do I feel so alone right now? Why am I so unhealthy right now? Why did that person have to die? Now, I can't give all the answers to those questions. God knows them, and he is good, so we can focus on that. But I want to point you this morning to a hope that we hold in the midst of all circumstances, a hope that we can hold in the midst of all the questions that we have. You know, over the last uh, few weeks, I've actually, I've been reading through Acts, and Acts, the book of Acts, documents the journeys of the apostles, and especially the apostle Paul. And I've been amazed following the life of Paul to see how this man can endure such pain, such persecution, such trial, and yet express joy. And more than that, contentment. Well, this morning, I want to bring you to a text that reveals the source of Paul's contentment throughout all the circumstances he was in. And my hope is that we can look at and embrace this same attitude that Paul has, this same source of contentment that Paul has, because we need it. So with that said, if you have your Bibles, paper or iPhone, iPad, whatever, screen if you want to follow on, turn to Philippians 4, 10 through 13. 4, 10 through 13. Now I'm going to read uh, through this passage once all the way through, and then verse by verse we'll go through the passage and, and I'll highlight some characteristics of Paul's contentment. So hopefully you've arrived there or are soon arriving there. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and it goes like this. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul writes the letter of Philippians, this passage here, he writes it to the church at Philippi, the Philippians, right? Now this church was a faithful church, and one key thing to know here is they were very poor. They were in the midst of great poverty. If you want to read the the whole context of that, you can read 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, It shares a bit. But the reason I mention this is because despite their poverty, they gave generously to Paul in support of his missionary journeys. They gave generously to him. And so what we're we're looking at this morning is a section in Philippians where Paul is giving a thanks, if you will, to them. He's giving them thanks for their generosity, thanks for their help, thanks for their partnership. So we read, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So you see here, you've revived your concern for me. That's, re- that's pertaining to the gift that was given. 
right? When you, show, when you give a gift, you show that you are concerned, you, you care for someone, right? So that's, that's what Paul is rejoicing over. It says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So previously, they didn't have the, the opportunity, the means to, to give to Paul. And Paul still knows that they were indeed concerned for him, but now they finally had the opportunity to give. So in this text, Paul is expressing his thanks for the Philippians. But more than the gift itself, more than the, the financial support that they gave, he is moved, Paul is moved by the love and concern the Philippians have for him. He makes clear that he cares far more about his relationship with them above any gifts that he's received from them. You know, with a gift we say all the time, it's the thought that, that matters, right? And thank goodness, because sometimes there's not some good gifts. <laughs> um, but it's the same way. It's the same way. It's, it's, it's not so much the gift as much as it is the relationship that the gift conveys. And more specifically, the partnership that it, that it conveys, right? Paul is ministering the gospel, and their support to him is partnership. That's what it is. And he rejoices in the Lord for that. Now this isn't, this idea of partnership and giving and relationship, these are valuable things. Honestly, a whole nother sermon could be written from this single text alone. That's not where we're gonna spend our time today though. Um, this is a bit of a side note. And, and with that, I do wanna make a side note. I want you to look at Paul's uh, relationship with the Philippians, his mindset towards them. See, Paul's relationship isn't dependent on what the Philippians can give. His love for them is founded in Christ, a love that is true. And you know, frankly, that's so countercultural today. Right? In our culture, we're told all the time to love when you get something out of it, right? To love when... Uh, they're, being, they're worthy of being loved, right? You love a, a friend or a spouse, a family member, when they could provide for you, even because they provide for you, right? But that is not what we see here. We see Paul loving them when they couldn't support him and when they could. He loved them because of who they were, and so I challenge you, church, to love one another in that same mindset. Because that is a selfless love, a Christ-like love that we're all called to. So let's get back here. Paul begins, after this first two verses, he begins to digress on a powerful truth. He explains that he is not in need because he has learned the secret of He's learned to be content in whatever situation he is in. Let's read verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So you see here, Paul begins to share his past situations. He's been in situations where he's been brought low, he's had very little, and situations where he's abounded. He's been in seasons of plenty and in seasons of hunger, of abundance and need. And in each of these, he has learned the secret of how to be content. 
He's found the key to being content in any circumstance. So what is the secret, right? What is this key? The famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is Christ who strengthens me. See, Christ is the secret. He is the key to being content in all circumstances. Now, it seems that this verse has been stamped on every t-shirt, every coffee mug, home goods sign, Instagram bio, and, and it's for good reason. It's a really good verse. But I just warn you of reading this verse out of its context. This, this passage is not at all saying that you can be Superman, right? It's not saying I could do whatever I want. I can, I can uh, you know, get whatever I want through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what it says at all. No, in its context, Paul is saying here, he, he's saying that he can endure any circumstance that God has put him in because of the, because of the strength that Christ provides, whether poor or rich, plenty or hunger, he has learned to be content because of Christ's power, which is sufficient. All right, so now we understand what Paul is saying in the text, right? But I wanna pick out three points that we can glean from this passage about contentment. Here's my first point. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Two times in this text, Paul says learned. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So you see, Paul here, he's learned this. Where? in the midst of his various situations, in the midst of the circumstances that God placed him in, he learned. How did he learn? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches him to be content in the midst of all of his circumstances. And the Lord teaches us to be content in the midst of our circumstances. See, this takes place over the course of our lives through the various circumstances that we're placed in by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's connected absolutely to our sanctification. You remember that word? It's God making us holy, God making us more and more into the image of Christ. Well, contentment is certainly a part of that. And we grow more and more content as we walk closer and closer with the Lord over our years. Now, my purpose in saying this isn't at all to give you an excuse to not be content. Like, oh, I, I don't have to be content right now because uh, you know, God will teach me in the future. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is be content now and let the Holy Spirit teach you to be more content in the future. See, contentment is learned. By contrast, discontentment is natural to a fallen humanity. You don't have to teach a baby to be discontent, right? Out of, from, from the womb. Mine, 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 mine. I want this, 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 this. Cry, cry, cry. You see it. It's, re it's, it's clearly perceived in humanity. Discontent is natural to our fallen state. 
I would even argue that discontentment is what Satan used to lure Eve. What, if you remember that passage in Genesis 3, what does Satan do? He makes Eve feel like God is keeping her from something good. He makes Eve feel discontent with the place that she was at. And what did she do? You know how the story ends. That is discontentment. It is evil. Now, I want to make a distinction, though. There is such thing as godly discontentment. Godly discontentment, however, only and only is affected with sin, pertains to sin and its effects on the world. I'll say that again. Godly discontentment is a discontent with sin and its effects on the world. You see, we should never be content with our own sin. We should never be content with the reality that there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus right now. We should never be content with injustice that goes on, with any sort of evil. We should never be content. These things we are called to be discontent with, and that is a godly discontentment, a righteous discontent. The contentment that I'm talking about today and what Paul is talking about is a contentment that is related to where God has placed you. That could be financial, societal, you know, like your class, like, like situational. Um, it could be a season like COVID. It is where God has placed you for the moment. This is the contentment we're talking about, and this contentment is learned. Okay, my second point is that contentment is not controlled by circumstances. Contentment itself is not controlled by circumstances. As we obviously read in the text, whether poor, rich, abundance, or need, Paul has learned to be content. Obviously here, contentment is not related to the circumstances that Paul is in. Instead, God's word says that we can learn to be content in all circumstances, right? Believe it or not, the Bible says that you can be poor, you can be in poverty, and yet be content. All it, all it takes is one trip to go to a nation that has very little and to visit fellow brothers and sisters who have little to nothing and you will discover this truth that it's not what you have that makes you content. It's who you have that makes you content. It's not an American principle, the idea that we can be poor and be content. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely Christ-like. And this is something we ought to embrace. I want to point you to a passage. This is uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. This is just a few chapters before. Um, and I just want to read you what Paul says here. He says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Paul urges the Philippians to have the mind of Christ who though he, Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Christ humbled himself. He became a servant, the lowliest in society, the most despised in society. He was crucified. The worst 
punishment reserved for the, the most horrible of criminals, the most shameful death. And yet we learn from the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 too, that Christ did this for the joy that was set before him. He did this fully content for the joy that was set before him. And so I say to you, we who are poor in spirit or poor in finance can also be content. See, on the other hand, you need to be content in abundance too. Right? Any Marvel villain will show you that the rich and wealthy and, and powerful, they just want more, more wealth and more power. And they'll do anything to get it. Why? It's because it doesn't satisfy. Their contentment is not, contentment is not sourced in favorable circumstances. And that's for, that's all around, rich or poor. Instead, contentment is sourced in a person, Jesus Christ. And that's my third point. Contentment has a source, Christ Jesus. You see, Paul says, the secret to his contentment I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's contentment is fully built upon the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by that? Paul's attitude is rooted in the hope of the gospel. His strength is found in Christ Jesus. This is the truth that is Paul's strength in all situations. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again and Christ resurrected. Amen? That is the hope of the gospel, Christ Jesus. And that is Paul's strength. Paul's mindset is this I have died, Christ lives in me, and therefore I'm content with whatever hand I am dealt. We see this mindset fully expressed earlier in Philippians. If you want to look at 121, Philippians 121, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, Christ is my life now, and if I die, all the better, because I will be with Christ face to face. Because of the reality of the gospel, Paul is content no matter what circumstances he is in, and he's learned this. He sincerely believes that God is sovereign and nothing can separate him from the love of God, right? He writes in Romans 8.35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is what he says. He knows that the Lord's strength in him is enough to keep him content in any circumstance. Even if his situation kills him, he'll be with Christ. So he's content. So how does Christ strengthen Paul and us? How specifically does this happen? Well, through the Holy Spirit. If you remember, Jesus promises to give us a helper that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, whom we've received, the second that you put your faith in Christ, is the power within you to overcome and to be content in any circumstance. 
That is the power. The Holy Spirit strengthens us to accomplish God's will in our lives in every season. Now, what does the strength look like? It, it can be seen in various ways. Sometimes it is physical miracles, it, like physical strength, healing. We've seen it. Other times it's just a, a, this peace that washes over us and it makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes it's, it's a, a keen awareness of the gospel that keeps us focused and, and gives us the strength to endure through a, uh, a circumstance, specifically persecution, right? Other times it's boldness to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit strengthens us in different ways, but here's the key. The outcome is always the same. Christ is glorified. Now there was a, a great missionary. Uh, his name was David Brainerd. And he, he ministered to Native Americans uh, during the 1700s, during, during the Great Awakening. This young missionary willingly suffered disease, hunger, loneliness, depression, and every kind of hardship that you can think of. And he did this all for the sake of bringing the gospel to these lost Native Americans. I encourage you, Read a, read a book about him or watch a documentary. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the famous theologian, actually um, published David Brainerd's diary that he kept along his journeys. I want to read you a quote from David Brainerd's diary. He writes this. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. This was written only a few months before he died as tuberculosis at the age of 29. See, Brainerd's contentment was not in his circumstances. It was in Christ. He learned to be content in the harshest of situations. And I challenge you, go read some of the things that he went through. He went through these because he knew Christ would give him the strength to endure. And he had a passion to serve the Lord. And what were Brainerd's dying words? I, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. That sounds like contentment to me content in his Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we saw only a few months later. We, like Paul and like Brainerd, can learn to be content in the midst of all of our circumstances because this is, this is what is seen in this text. In this text, Paul conveys to the Philippians that the Christian can learn to be content in all circumstances. Why? Because the power of Christ is sufficient in all circumstances. I'll say that again. The Christian can learn to be content in all situations because the power of Christ is sufficient in all situations. And that's you, church. That's me. We can learn to be content in the midst of any situation, even a pandemic. Why? Because Christ is in you, each one of you, 
and Christ is the hope of glory, and he is the one who strengthens you. Well, you don't need me to spend much time telling you that we live in a world of discontentment. In our nation alone, especially, wealth and prosperity have been idolized and it's no shock to me whatsoever that there is so much discontent in this nation. Every single TV commercial, every radio promo, social media ad is literally geared and intended to make you feel discontent. The goal of every marketer is to make you say, I want, I need, I need, right, Sess? Salesman. It's amazing how much of our conversation today is discontent grumbling about what I don't have or what he or she has, about not having this car or this house, about not having the means to go on this trip or this vacation, and I'm guilty as well. Think about how much of our lives, especially as of late, has been looking, lived looking forward to a, to a better future right? When I graduate, when I get married, I'll be content. When I have kids, when my kids are out of the house, when I retire, when I get my pension, when I get a raise, when I have time on my hands, when we get out of this pandemic. I'm not saying don't be excited about what the future holds. What I'm saying is be content now. Because the circumstances in the future won't give you any real sort of contentment. Christ alone is the source of contentment and that is right now in this moment, in this current situation, no matter how frustrating it can be. And see, any contentment you look for outside of Christ is an empty and endless pursuit. And so, Integrity Church, I ask you, where are you looking for contentment? Where are you looking for contentment? contentment because according to this passage we know there's only one source for contentment and so I challenge you go to the source Christ Jesus he freely offers to satisfy every longing in fact his desire for you is to experience the joy and contentment that only he can provide so you may be wondering, okay, I, I believe this, it sounds great, but how do I grab hold of this? How can I apply this to my life? Do you wanna know? I, I don't know at all, I'm learning this as well, but I see four key things found in this text that we need to start applying to our lives which will allow us to learn to be content. To learn contentment, we need to lean into Christ. To learn contentment, lean into Christ. That's my first point. Now this point is undoubtedly the most important of the ones that we'll discuss because you'll see all the points after this flow from this point. Lean into Christ. See, we can't possibly learn to be content if we're not leaning into the source of contentment. Right? You don't keep searching for water in a dry place. You go to the source, right? Well, Christ is the source. So lean into him. 
Now he's given us so many different ways that we can do this. You see this book right here? This is God's word. This is our food. Dig into this. Like you're starving and you found the buffet because this is it. Like you're digging for gold and you found it because this is it. There's gold in this book and it's not the book itself, it's who is in this book, Christ. He's given us this to reveal to us himself. Dig into this, lean into Christ. Pray. Do you know that you have the privilege, the blessing to be able to talk to your heavenly father at any moment, any time of your day, and he hears you? That blows my mind. <laughs> Lean into Christ. Worship the Lord in every day, not only in song, but in the way that you live. Seek community with, with Christ's bride, the church. I know there's, we all can be knuckleheads every once in a while, so sometimes, you know, the church isn't perfect. No one would say that, but you need to understand that this is what Christ loves the most, his bride. And so you need to be here. If you want to lean into him, you go to the one who he loves. Do that. Set your mind on the things above. Right? Even just taking a drive, giving time to the Lord, meditating, thinking about all the things that you can thank him for. See, the more that we lean into Christ, the more you will be content with your circumstances. And more than that, you'll learn to develop a godly discontent with what the world offers. So number two, let go of yourself. Let go of yourself. And I don't mean like, oh, he, he really let go of himself. Like, don't gain 100 pounds. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying we need to let go of the selfish practices and desires that keep us from leaning into Christ. You know, last week, Pastor Tony, he talked about putting off the flesh, right, in Colossians. You remember this? We've been talking about this through the fast. Well, if you want to be content, we need to live in the new life that Christ has provided for us. If you want to be content, you need to live in the new life Christ has provided for you. Why is that? It's because Christ is your new life. It's because your new life is in Christ, the source of contentment. Let me read to you the mind of Paul in, uh, in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, just a chapter before ours. You can, you can flip there. It's a good passage to read for yourself too. He writes, 3, 7 through 9, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So do you see here, Paul's mind is so content with Christ and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ that he considers 
any other contentment the world promises to be utterly useless, utterly worthless. I ask you, church, reach out your hands like this, just like this, right? Yeah, follow me. Close your eyes. <laughs> oh God, would you teach us to be so content and caught in the beauty of Christ that we no longer desire the things of this world? Amen. That is the prayer that we need to pray every single day of our lives. You know, I shared a little bit about David Brainerd before, right? Well, I want to read one more diary quote by him. He says this I bless God for this retirement. I never was more thankful for anything than I have been of late for the necessity I am under of self denial in many respects. I love that. He calls self-denial, losing yourself, a retirement. <laughs> Putting to death the flesh. And he says he's never been so thankful, he's never been so content with this very thing. I got news for you. Christ says the cost of discipleship, deny yourself, follow me. Deny yourself. <laughs> Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, which means die to yourself, and follow me. We need to let go of our selfish habits, our selfish desires. We need to let go of ourselves. And here's the thing, as we lean into Christ, this will happen. We will begin to take on his mind of selflessness. Three, look to heaven. You know, a, a, another critical principle we see Paul teach is that we need to look forward to what awaits. Paul kept his mind on heaven. You can see it throughout all of his writings, and we must too. Reality is, Christ is coming soon. Heaven awaits, it's near. And when we are focused on the heavenly, the earthly things begin to seem less and less attractive. Paul writes in verse 320 of Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell the person next to you right now, do it. Christ is coming soon. Christ is coming soon. Join me. I'm gonna make a point every single day this year to wake up and verbalize Christ is coming soon because I need to, we need to start living in this mindset that Christ is coming soon. We need to start living in the mindset that heaven is very near. The, the prize, Christ, is soon coming. So we better keep our eyes fixed on him. And here's the thing, when we keep our eyes on the prize that is Christ, we set ourselves up to be content in the, in the midst of any trial, any problem, any circumstance that we are in. Fourth and lastly, we must live in thanksgiving. We must live in thanksgiving. Anybody who's read the Bible, specifically again, Paul's letters, you will very quickly see that thanksgiving is a lifestyle for Paul. In all circumstances, in the midst of all of his hardships and difficulties, the highs and the lows, he is thankful to God. He is thankful to God. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, 
This is what God says to us. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, church, we need to be thankful because if we don't acknowledge God's blessing, how are we possibly gonna be content? Rather, if we are thankful for the blessings that we have, we will learn to be content. So as is often said, indeed, count your blessings, count your blessings, count your blessings. Give thanks for your blessings. Give thanks to God, give thanks to God, give thanks to God. Make this a lifestyle just like Paul did. As we head into this new year, I challenge you, I challenge myself to be content through whatever comes. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I think if anything we've learned this last two years is nobody knows what's actually happening. No one knows what's gonna happen. And we can look forward to the day that these restrictions will be pulled away, maybe, hopefully. But I promise you will never be any more content on that day than this day if you are not content in Christ. I'll say that again. You will not be any more content tomorrow than today if you are not content in Christ Jesus. And as we find ourselves in week two of of our church-wide fast, I find this message to be extremely relevant to the purpose of fasting. We fast because we want to hunger for the Lord and be pointed to him who is the giver and sustainer of life. Right? Well, may we lean into Christ in the midst of this fast that we would learn to be content in him. Please, do yourself a favor. Don't miss out. It's, it's useless for you to enter into this fast but not dig into Christ more, not lean into Christ more. If you're fasting food, great. If you're fasting TV, social media, great. If you're fasting something else, fantastic. Here's the thing though. If that time that you'd be doing that isn't spent for the Lord, it's useless. We don't, we empty ourselves of the world when we fast. We empty ourselves of things like food or whatever so that we will fill ourselves with Christ. We're making a declaration that it's not by these things alone that I live. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was tempted in the midst of his fast? It's not by bread that man shall live, not bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is what's said. And so this fast, don't waste it. Spend time. Take that time that you would have used to do those things you're fasting and lean into Christ in the midst. If you're not filling yourself up with God during the fast, there's no point. So lean into Christ. In closing, I want to share a quote by uh, the Reformation leader, Martin Luther. He says this, next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. So integrity, may we learn to be content in the midst of all of our circumstances. 
If we want to, we need to lean into Christ, who is the source. We need to let go of ourselves. We need to look to heaven. And we need to live in thanksgiving. May we do these things together. God, give us the help to do that. I, uh, let's, let's go before the Lord and ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize that contentment is in Christ Jesus alone. We recognize that there is nothing in this world that could possibly satisfy our longings. But you, God, in your mercy and your love, sent your Son that we may find contentment in him. God, we thank you so much. You know, maybe you're not walking with the Lord. Maybe you have not given your life to Christ. I have some really bad news, and that is whatever it is you're looking for, because I know you're looking for something, you're not gonna find it you're not gonna find it. The good news is that Christ has freely offered you himself, the source of contentment. And so, I point you to him. If you want contentment, which is just one of the blessings that Christ gives, Put your faith in him. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. Because you'll find out sooner or later that he's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who gives life and life abundantly and life freely. So Lord, we just, um, we thank you still for the gift of Christ Lord, I pray, as I prayed earlier, that you would make us so satisfied and so content in Christ that we would be utterly turned off to everything this world has to offer. Lord, in the midst of this fast, may we lean into you more than ever before. As we head into this new year, may we lean into you unlike ever before. We ask your spirit to continue to teach us and guide us that we might learn to be content. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.